for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. To turn in your Bible with me, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 tonight. And uh, we've been doing a series on Wednesday nights for the past few weeks, uh, started before our revival and continued last week, and want to continue in that series tonight on, uh, on the topic of evangelism, the topic of winning souls. There is probably nothing more important for us to talk about than evangelism. How is it that the church is supposed to grow without evangelism? How is it that our children are going to make it to heaven without evangelism? Often we don't think of our roles as parents as being evangelists, but indeed, part of the being a parent is being an evangelist. Uh, how are we supposed to populate heaven without evangelism? And I want to make the case to you tonight, there is no greater example of evangelism than even the one who made us the God that we serve is an evangelist and so this is a message I've titled the God of outreach tonight and I want to begin with Genesis chapter 3 I believe that all good Christian doctrines you know you say the word doctrine and many times people's brains turn off and say oh this is, I don't want to hear about doctrine and theology and all that old dusty stuff from books. But I want to tell you, all good theology begins with a study of who God is. Theology comes from a study of God himself. And so tonight, this is a, a study of God's character and what it means for us in evangelism. Let me read this scripture tonight. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. This is, of course, after the fall of Adam and Eve. They've uh, taken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've done what they know is wrong, and now they're hiding. Sin always causes us to hide, doesn't it? Sin always causes us to run away from the presence of God. But the amazing thing about God is that he was not satisfied to leave them that way. Let's look in Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Where are you, Adam? Aren't you glad that God called out to Adam while Adam was still hiding in the bushes. 
Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus tonight. Once again, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the incredible truth that you are a God who seeks and saves that which is lost, that you are the good shepherd who goes after the one that is lost and leaving the 99 behind. I'm praying tonight that you would inspire someone here tonight to take your example and to act upon it, God, that we can be, as you are, a soul winner, an outreach, an evangelist. And I'm praying tonight that we would carry this great message of gospel hope into our city and into our homes and into the nations. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A God of outreach. And so tonight we have to recognize who it is that we are serving. We are serving a God who is not the God of the deists. Deism was a very popular belief and uh, religion among our, the found, founders of the United States of America. Many, uh, m- many of, the de- of the founders and, and some of them um, uh, did not be- subscribe to uh, necessarily the, 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 the biblically-based ba- Christianity that we understand today. Some founders subscribed to the idea which was popular during that time that they lived of deism what is deism you ask well it is first of all a recognition that there is a greater power there is a god out there somewhere very few people at that time were foolish enough to think that all of this came out of nothing the world and all of its beauty and all of its intricacy and all of its glorious creatures and colors and wind and weather and waves, that it all just came out of nothing. And so it, uh, it, that didn't make any sense and shouldn't make any sense to anyone today. Uh, and so what, but at the same time, there's many people who have questions about Christianity, questions about God. We live in a time where atheism is growing rampantly, where people are rejecting the God Uh, revealed by Christianity. And so deism is this happy middle ground that says, well, maybe there is this higher power. There is some kind of cosmic watch turner, winder, the watch winder, who who, uh, at the beginning, who set things in motion and um, created the earth and then let it go and and the, the world has been going ever since. Deism says that Yes, there's a God, but he's not really involved in the day-to-day affairs of anyone's life. It's a way of taking away God's involvement and God's purpose and plan for our lives. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight that that is not the God that is revealed in the Bible. If you want to believe in that God, uh, then you have to reject some fundamental things about the Bible. Number one, we understand that from the very first pages god was not content to just wind up the clock and let it take its course he was not content to stay up in heaven with his arms folded and let the the people uh just have their way god did all he was not a puppet master he was not there pulling strings he gave the people a choice and a commandment and said I want you to serve me, and the way I want you to serve me is that I'm going to put this little tree right here, 
And you can have the fruit from every other tree, but this tree, this is my tree, and you're not going to touch the fruit on my tree. And by doing that, God gave Adam and Eve this choice. He gave them the ability to willingly serve him or not. And God did not force them, did not twist their arms, did not... And even when they went to take the fruit, God did not jump in front of Eve and put his hand in front of her mouth and say, stop her from doing what she willed, even though he could have. God allowed his children and his first creations to experience separation from God, to fill the weight of their sin. Whenever we sin, how many know it leads us to a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, for the first time, they looked at themselves and realized that they were naked, that there was something shameful about that. And they began to run and, and hide, and they began to, uh, when God became looking for them, they were, they were there hiding. They were, never had to hide in the bushes before, and yet there they were. As a result of their disobedience to God, there's something that had been changed in their relationship with them. But here's where it's very interesting to me. At God, he very easily could have said to himself, maybe I didn't make these people right. Maybe I should just let them suffer. Because God did tell them, didn't he, that when you take of that fruit, what's going to happen? You're going to die. And indeed, that moment started the process of death in their life. And God could have easily rested in heaven, saying nothing and doing nothing. He could have very easily, and he would have been right to destroy them in that moment. That would have been just, and that would have been righteous. And it would not have, uh, it would not have been a violation of God's character. But here's what's so interesting to me. That when they had sinned, they had rebelled against God. God was not satisfied to keep them that way. Now, right there, you ought to find some hope. Because here's the truth about you and me. Is that just as rebellious as Adam and Eve were in the garden, you are even more rebellious against God, aren't you? How many times has God said, don't do that? Please don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. And you're going to hurt people around you if you do that. And if you say that. Or if you act that way with that funky attitude. And you're going you're gonna to mess things up if you do that. And then how many times, we, oh God, whatever, and we just do it. We rebel. And we're stubborn people. Aren't you, aren't you a stubborn person, Dom? Yeah, me too. We get stubborn about things. We get addicted to things. We have parts of our personality that are addicted. And we know that God has said, don't do this. It's going to hurt you. And whenever God says, don't do something, that's the reason why. Because he understands that when you go through with it, it's going to hurt you. God didn't say, don't tell lies just because he wanted a a bunch of little truth, you know, a little goody two-shoes running around. No, the reason that God says don't tell lies is because when you lie, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your own character. You're hurting your future. You're hurting people around you. 
God didn't say don't murder just because, you know, murder is, is a nice thing to do. No, 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 no. Murder is going to hurt somebody, right? It's going to hurt. Uh, it's going to kill somebody. And it's also going to hurt you. Makes sense. When God says don't do something, it's because it's going to hurt you. But what we understand about God is that God reaches out to rebellious and stubborn people. Even people who are hiding from his presence. Think about Adam and Eve. Here's God. He's, uh, he, apparently, this was something that, that they would do together on a regular basis. That he is, uh, in the cool of the day, they would walk together, it says in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God coming down to have their little walk in the cool of the day. And the Bible says when Adam and his wife heard it, they hid themselves from the presence of God. So here they are hiding from God's very presence. Let me ask you something. Do you think that God couldn't find them? Is that why he asked this question? Adam, where are you? I, I lost you, Adam. Where, where could you be? No. It is not because God had no knowledge of where they were. The reason that God asked the question was to help Adam and Eve to realize how lost they were. And isn't it incredible that when God came to talk to them, He didn't say, you rebellious fools! What have you done? He didn't rebuke them. He didn't backslap them. He didn't uh, burn their faces off with the holiness of His glory. He simply and gently called out to them, where are you? I want you to understand about God's character right here. Something that we can all learn. When God went looking for people who were running from Him, He understood what it was going to take to bring them back in. A word of judgment, a word of rebuke, was not necessary in that moment. We know that sometimes we need rebuke, sometimes we need harsh words, sometimes to slap us out of our stupidity. But there are times, let let me tell you, most people understand the depth and the pain of their own sins. Most people understand that. Most people understand that when a marriage falls apart, it hurts really, really bad. And the faces of their children saying, Daddy, was it my fault? Right? And most people understand the weight and the consequences of their sins. And when we knock on their door to tell them about Jesus, most of the time you don't have to be harsh with them. We can approach them the same way God approached Adam and Eve. How's your relationship with God? Are you living for Him? God is a God who reaches out, but not in anger, not in judgment. He reaches out with grace. Think of how God approached Cain in the very next chapter, Genesis 4, verse 9. 
The Lord said to Cain, now remember what Cain is thinking about in this moment. Cain is thinking about murdering his brother. Oh no, he already has murdered his brother. I mean, the, the body is on the floor over there. And the Lord says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Do you think that God was unaware of the location of Abel? Cain says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God approaches Cain and deals with him with a question. Genesis 16, verse 8. Here's something incredible. Uh, after Abraham has to put away Hagar, the maid of Sarah, and God approaches her, says, where have you come from and where are you going? In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a prophet who is having a bad attitude, having a bad day. Have you ever had a bad day? And he thinks it's all falling apart all around him. He says, oh, it's just, it would be better if I was just never born. Oh, God, it's just better if you take me. I'm done with this. I'm done being threatened and having all these problems. It's, this is Elijah. This is the same prophet who has called down fire of 400 prophets of Baal, right? And just a few pages later, here he is weeping and moaning in a cave. And what does God do with him? Verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. He went into a cave, spent the night in that place, and the, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, You idiot, Elijah! Oh, no, that's not what it said. Why are you acting so stupid? No, he simply asked it like this. He says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you see the character of the God that we serve? The rebukes are reserved for those like Pharaoh. Pharaoh whose heart was already hardened toward God. Pharaoh who was already made up his mind about what he was going to do. The rebukes are reserved for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That Jesus called them a brood of vipers. You know why? Because their minds were already made up. And when you're on outreach and when we're talking about evangelism, I want to tell you that the rebukes ought to be reserved for people whose minds are already made up. They're not going to serve God. They're the ones that need the rebuke. But people who are truly in need, they don't need a judgment. They don't need a rebuke. They need an embrace. And many times we can initiate that with this simple question. How's your heart with God? Are you living for him? One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is the story of the disobedient prophet, Jonah. It's a short book. You could read it in probably 10 or 15 minutes. It's only four chapters long. And the Bible says that God called Jonah and told him in Jonah 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Why is God so interested in the Ninevites anyway? So interested that he stirs up this man, Jonah. Jonah arose to flee. The Bible says that when Jonah heard about this call to go to Nineveh, that he fled to Tarshish. Tarshish, which is on the coast of Spain, and Nineveh, which was in the Middle East, if you look on a map, if Jonah was here, 
Nineveh was there, God said, I want you to go here, and instead he goes there. It's exactly 180 degrees the wrong way. And so Jonah began to run from the Lord and began a process of downward spiral in Jonah's life. He went down. It's interesting how the word down is repeated so many times in this scripture. Uh, It says that Jonah went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, and he went down into the ship. He went in the presence of the Lord. And then we know after he got tossed out of the ship, he went down again. He was swallowed by a great fish and went down to the depths of the sea. Whenever you run from God, it's a downward spiral, isn't it? But I'm always amazed that God was so persistent to chase after a rebellious prophet. Why didn't you just let him go, God? He didn't want to do what you want him to do. Just let him go. Just let him suffer. Why are you so interested? I'll tell you why he's interested. Because if God doesn't use Jonah, he's got to find someone else to preach to Nineveh. And that's hard to do in those, in those days. I want to tell you, if God doesn't use us to reach the lost, then who's he going to use? We have to see ourselves in the purpose and in the plan of God. We serve a God who reaches out. This is his character. This is his nature. This is who God is. Think of your own testimony. Think of your own life. Before you were saved, did you even have a desire to know who God was? See, most of us in our sins, we were running away from God because we knew if I serve God, it means I have to be some goody-two-shoe and go to church on Sundays. We were running from God because we liked our sins. We liked the way it made us feel. We were running from God, but isn't it amazing? Somewhere along the way, somebody tapped you on the shoulder. Somebody shared their testimony. Somebody was praying for you. And God began to chase after you. This is a, this is a doctrine that we know, something called prevenient grace. It means grace that is shown, that is before there's any action that deserves it. It means that when you were still a sinner, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. That means before the thief on the cross ever knew he was going to be hanging next to Jesus, that Jesus was already planning to die for him. Before you ever had a thought in your brain about going to church or about reading the Bible or about saying a prayer, God was already thinking about how am I going to chase this person? How am I going to order their steps? How am I going to put their life together in such a way they're going to be exposed to this truth? They're going to hear this gospel preacher. They're going to flick on the radio and it's on the wrong station. Oh, wait, it's a preacher. Oh, wait, that story's about me. Right? It's called prevenient grace. And it is the nature of the God that we serve. He reaches out. We see it most clearly, of course. In the life of Jesus Christ. If there was anyone who had it made, it was Jesus. 
I mean, think of how great Jesus had it in heaven. Just think, from, from eternity past, he was in the presence of his Father, the Holy Spirit. He is active, and he is indeed the creator of all things. He had a nice gig up there, didn't he? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Not only that, he had a whole army, a whole host of angels worshiping him at his throne night and day, day and night for all eternity. Not only that, but every saint who died in faith comes and begins to worship Jesus. Man, you talk about a cushy job with a corner office. Jesus had the best position in all the universe. And I don't know when, it, when exactly it happened or if it was in his mind from the beginning. We know that from the foundations of the world, Christ was slain for us. So, but I think there was somewhere along the line that the father put his arm around the son, Jesus, and he said, you know that nasty place? The place we made it perfectly, but it's been fallen in sin. And you see all those wicked people down there? Yeah. You're going to have to go down there. And you're going to have to be born in a stable to a couple of peasants with no money. And you're going to have to, uh, you're going to, have to run the moment that you're born. You're going to have to run. Your parents are going to have to take you down to Egypt because they're going to try to kill you from day one. You're going to have to know what it's like to depend on those little people. We're talking about the maker of the universe, right? You're going to have to learn how to, how to use the toilet like everybody else. You're going to have to learn what it feels like to have teeth grow in your mouth, fall out, and then grow in again. You're going to have to learn how it feels to have people push you around, bully you, make fun of you. You're going to have to know what it feels like to have your parents as authority over you. You're going to have to learn what it feels like to grow and to have to provide for yourself. You're going to have to learn what it feels like. And Jesus, can you imagine Jesus in heaven thinking about, oh, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to go there and have to do Oh, yeah, and by the way, after 33 years, you're going to have to suffer torture and death. crown of thorns. They're going to pull the beard out of your face. They're going to put spikes in your hands and feet. But Lord, I'm going to live a perfect life. Yes, I know. That's how you're going to get repaid. Everybody that you're going to touch, everybody that you're going to influence, they're all going to run away from you, except for a few. They're all going to betray could you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine Jesus thinking about this on like the day before he's getting ready to go down? This is going to be terrible. The Bible, uh, the, the, uh, the, the theologians have a good term to describe the incarnation of Jesus coming out of heaven and going down to earth. They call it the great humiliation. And in Hebrews it says that Christ learned obedience through the cross. This is the example that Jesus set for us. If you can't see what we do every Saturday 
in that example, then I can't help you. Say, Pastor, I don't want to go on outreach. I get it, man. I get it. I've got other things to do also. But don't you think Jesus had a few other things to do? 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, We love him because he first loved us. John 3.16, that famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God gave his Son. Why? Because he's a God of outreach. He's a God who sent his message to the earth when we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. Now, let me remind you tonight who you are. We've looked tonight at who God is, at what he does for rebellious and sinful people. He chases after them. Now, let me remind you tonight who you are. It says in Genesis 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image. May I remind you, beloved, that you are created in God's image. That you are created with his characteristics. That, yes, we've been marred by sin. Yes, we've been broken by our rebellion but God made us to be people of compassion. Part of salvation, part of becoming a Christian means that something needs to awaken in us that says, I want to be like my Father. I want to be one that reaches out. I want to be one that meets people right where they are, hiding in the bushes before they're getting all religious, before they put ties on for Sunday morning. I want to meet them. Jesus said to go out into the highways and the byways and to bring them in. May I remind you that part of being a believer means being an outreacher. And I want to tell you tonight as we close, that God did not leave us to ourselves to do this rescue. I want to show a little video tonight as we close. This is, a, this is a, something that took place about nine years ago, nine or ten years ago. Uh, there's no audio here, so we don't need to play any audio. But the images come from uh, somewhere in Iowa. Go ahead and play it. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa, in fact. And uh, there is this ravine where there's uh, water a waterfall, and a woman has gotten trapped in this waterfall, and it's w one of those places where she just can't get out, and the water is pulling her under. She's drowning. She's dying right now. So just, uh, just off to the side of this river, there are some construction workers. So these guys are rescuers. They're trying to get in. They can't get her. But here's a guy who's a construction worker. He's a crane operator. He hooks himself up to a giant chain, and he goes out there, and literally lifts this woman with his own hands. You know how to loop a YouTube? Do a right click on there. Hit the loop right there. 
It's the fourth one now. Hit play again. Do a right click again. Make sure it's on loop. No, up higher. Yeah, right click. Yeah, it's on loop. Okay, thank you. So I just want to, to show you this because this is a heroic moment. It's a moment where a guy sees an opportunity. And he, he does what's necessary to save a woman's life. If, if he hadn't gotten her in that moment, she probably would not have lasted much longer. I want you to be challenged tonight by this because I wonder if that could be you. There's a lot of people in this life that are churning, that are in the churn of that waterfall, that unless something happens, they will end up in hell. There's people that you know like that. There's probably people who live on the right or left of you. That if something doesn't change, if life just continues, they will drown in their sins. Someone has to speak to them. Someone has to chain themselves up. Someone has to be brave enough and strong enough, and someone has to be bold enough to go rescue someone. No doubt there's been somebody in your life who has prayed for you. There's been somebody who read scriptures to you, who encouraged you when you were down. There was somebody who picked you up for church. There was somebody who witnessed to you even when it was uncomfortable. But here's what I also want you to notice about this video. I want you to notice that this man didn't do the rescue all on his own, did he? That he is not like, uh, he's not like Superman. He couldn't just swoop in there, you know, and fly with his cape blowing in the wind and lift her out. He's a limited human being. He needed help from a crane operator. Somebody's up there very gently and very carefully operating that crane, aren't they? Not only that, but there's a structure in place. There's a crane and there's a chain that's hanging down, supporting his weight. The reason I want to show you this is not just to encourage you to be bold in your faith and reach out to the lost, those who are drowning, but to realize that you're not alone in this. To realize that there is a God in heaven, that there is a Holy Spirit who is operating the knobs, who is giving you strength, who is giving you the words to speak. There is also a structure in place. There is a church, thank God. We have a church where you can witness to somebody and you can bring them and we already have chairs here. We already have three services a week. Built in, it's a structure that you can bring someone here. They can sit on the front row and they can be changed miraculously. You don't have to do it all by yourself. You don't have to be intimidated. Yes, there's some difficulty involved here. Yes, you're going to have to have some awkward moments. You know, I, I was watching as he's pulling her. I, it looks like he's got her like right between his legs, you know, hanging on to her for dear life. That's probably a little awkward. But you know, it's better than dying. And the same way with saving souls, making disciples, it's going to require some 
maybe some awkward conversations. It's going to require you to step out in faith and say some things that might pe- make people feel uncomfortable, might make you feel uncomfortable. But you know what? It's better than going to hell. And I just want to encourage you tonight. When I saw that video, I was so encouraged. This guy, this guy had kind of a checkered history. He was in and out of jail. He, uh, he had a rough life, rough family life. And uh, just recently, about a year ago, he passed away. He died. But can I tell you, he was not remembered for his jail time. He was not remembered for his rough life. When they put his image on the news and said, the man has passed away, do you know what it said? It said, remember the construction worker who rescued that woman from drowning? He's just passed away. And he will be remembered for all eternity for an act of heroism. Can I ask you tonight, what will you be remembered for? What greater thing to be remembered for than he saved a soul? In heaven, what's going to matter more than that? What's going to matter more than rescuing someone from the pit of hell and bringing them into the glory of heaven? Can you see tonight that we are involved in greater things than we could ever imagine? Outreach is much more than just a ministry requirement for Saturdays. It ought to be part of of who we are because it is part of who he is. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. A simple... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh